Welcome to the Wellbeing Rebellion, the podcast that's changing workplace cultures for good. We're your hosts, Ngazi Wella and Obehi Alafoje. Let's get this rebellion started. As households and businesses come under intense pressure from the cost of living crisis with inflation at the highest rates since the early 1980s, employers and senior HR leaders need to be considering the well-being issues facing employees and how their organization can support them. Nafield Health's 2022 Healthier Nation Index study revealed that one in three adults say their mental health has got worse in the last year. The same statistic is also true of physical health, with a third of UK adults reporting a decline over the last 12 months. This is set to get worse this year and next year, as the BMA, that's the British Medical Association, report that 1.4 million people are on the wait list for mental health support and treatment. This means that prioritising mental health this year is essential in your business. Not only do employers have a duty of care to look after the welfare of their employees, but also they're starting to recognise that proactively looking after their employees' mental health can contribute to higher productivity and more resilience during these challenging times. So as we enter uh, a new financial year, um, in this podcast episode, we're going to examine the top five employee wellbeing trend we're seeing right now, um, what forward thinking and proactive organizations will be doing to ensure their employees get the support that they need to be resilient and productive and engaged as the year progresses and well into 2024. So our first employee wellbeing trend that we're seeing is Organizations are going to be defining a mental health strategy and investing. Um, it's still going to remain a top priority even in uncertain times. So forward-thinking businesses are elevating and strengthening their long-term mental health strategy in 2023 and beyond, mostly because it makes good business sense, right? Looking after your employees' mental health not only makes life better for them, but it also increases companies productivity as people feel happier and more motivated to work and will ultimately define their survival during the cost of living crisis. Now, every major research on employee engagement and workplace well-being research, including Deloitte, McKinsey and the World Health Organization, have shown that businesses that define their mental health strategies and commit to it will have a much better return on investment than those who do not. However, we are seeing businesses who prefer quick fixes, to be fair, to save money. But things like one-hour mental health well-being webinar, um, rather than investing in more transformational solutions such as line management trainings and coaching, will not reap the reward of this investment in the long term. You get what you pay for, right? So we also see that there is a temptation for businesses to cut back financially on areas like mental health and well-being, DEI, but most businesses will have recognised that investing in this area is still worthwhile. After all, employee well-being is delicately intertwined with the business's productivity and the bottom line. So I'll give you an example. Researchers from the University of Cambridge and University College London found in a study of over 19,000 participants covering 20 industries, it was between 2016 
and 2018, I believe they'll probably repeat this test soon. It found that certain industries like construction, hospitality, real estate appear to have a much higher risk factor for poor mental health. And so these industries will certainly need to be thinking about how they want to or how they can ensure that their workplaces are psychologically safe to work in. So we're also seeing some increase in poor mental health in tech and law right now. A couple of studies from the industry publications like Yebo and Law Care. So for example, 2022 study of more than 36,000 tech workers found that two in five employees want to quit due to excessive stress, exhaustion, and a broken work-life balance. Law care research in 2021 showed that 69% of legal professionals had experienced mental ill health, whether clinically diagnosed or self-diagnosed, in the past 12 months before completing that survey. So yeah, and also we can consider gender as well. Men in the UK, three times more likely to die by suicide than women. And particularly the construction industry, a very male-dominated industry, men are three times more likely to die by suicide than the national average for men. So we could just, mm. the, the numbers blow my brain every single time I see it. Yeah, it's it's really high. I, I was on a training course um, this week and I met someone who is the MD of a transportation company. And he said that actually... Um, when when I'd said I'd done mental well-being um, uh, professionally, and that, that's what we deliver, mental well-being support for organisations, he came and spoke to me afterwards. And he said, after construction, they have one of the highest suicide rates. Yeah. Um, and I, it doesn't surprise me, obviously, you've got lorry drivers travelling extremely long distances on their own. You can imagine mental health is an issue. But it's not something that the industry has really taken into consideration. Um, this guy, to be fair to his credit, is is starting to pursue so this as as a priority. But it is something that's going to remain on the agenda because, as as you said, with so many people struggling, it actually affects the organization's productivity. It does, and I think one of the key questions we get asked, we run a lot of roundtables and stuff, and. One of the key questions that Ngoga and I get asked a lot is, uh, can you tell us a company that's been doing this well in terms of, you know, investing and, and they can see the results and, and so on and so forth. And we, there are a few out there, but one of the ones that we've been working with, it's a, it's a law firm. I wouldn't expect that to have been it, but it's a law firm. Um, investing in transformational training and coaching of all the senior lawyers, including the head of department and equity partners. And, and the managing partner. And the managing partner. To upskill on inclusive and empathetic leadership to enable them attracting talent into a business at a time when lawyers' mental health is reported to be at an all-time low, like we talked about before. So mm. it's, it's always encouraged them to tie this into the company values and to create a culture that will retain current employees and attract new ones. So what we're saying is, if you invest, it's not just the training, it's the, the long-term, the knock-on effect on the culture that you're trying to create, because you're planning for a, an organization that you want to be in three, five years' time. You will have to do that work now to be able to get that organization that you want in five years' time. I love that point that you make. It's not about training or coaching it's not a one-time investment it is about culture change and that brings us on to one of the top trends that we're seeing where 
building an inclusive company culture will remain high up on organizations' agenda in 2023. So company culture is the new buzzword for 2023, much like mental health and well-being was buzzwords for 2021 and 2022. And that's because employees who feel really closely aligned with their company's culture, they're much more likely to feel comfortable and remain happier in the workplace. So last year, the challenge to maintain company culture was felt by 52% of HR leaders. The role of the office has irrevocably changed. So many companies are introducing hybrid working and what, trying to figure out what the new workplace really looks like. What does it have to look like? What should it look like? It's making it challenging to create a, and cultivate a sense of vibrancy, a place that's welcoming and meaningful. It's making it difficult to really understand what a company's culture is. There's lots of factors driving this. Things like teams that don't meet as often face-to-face -face for either work meetings or even social occasions, for from it taking longer for new staff to settle in because there's no one around to show them the ropes and settle them into the organization to the loss of longer serving staff who lived and breathed the company culture. Now with the great resignation, people have moved on. So they take a little bit of your company culture with them when they go. The question businesses are asking isn't anymore, should we be remote? Should we be in office or hybrid? It's how do we inspire the most engagement and connection among our employees, regardless of whether we're in the office or working from home? I really think about that because I'm trying to work out what's happening now with when you mentioned the loss of long-serving staff who leave and breathe the company culture. Google came into mind. A lot of the tech companies that have got laid off mm. a lot of people. And I'm wondering how those people, how, A, how are they feeling now? But they, they leave and breathe their culture. They leave and breathe Google and all the tech firms. But where would, when they go to a new organization, would they, how would they embed into that? Would they have, I'm just, I think the department is wondering how they're going to embed in a newer culture when one that seemed to have the best cultures in the world and all that stuff had kind of laid people off by email. Mm. You know, there's a part, again, I'm wondering about that. If I got someone who used to be an ex-Googler coming to my organization or any of the organization, can I embed them into our culture or there, would there be a sense of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? A sense of suspicion. <laughs> yeah, but I, you know what I, mean? I, I do. But I also think that as much as Google prided itself on having a very distinct personality almost rather mm. than culture, um, and there was a lot of pride associated with I work for Google, um, the very fact that they did the terminations in the way that they did, so callous, and made employees who had worked and given their lives or a good portion of their lives over to the company, made them feel so dispensable, I mm. think will instantly make you question why you should be loyal to any organization. It's going to, isn't it? Mm. Um, and that's another reason why you have to put the focus on creating a strong culture. And when we talk about culture, what do we really mean? I mean, I, to me, it's about how an employee feels 
working in your company and how they represent your company externally, right? Yeah. It's both of those things. Yeah, it really is. Now, I think um, I can imagine now, um, you know, again, this this key trend is still going to remain. Building an inclusive company culture will still remain high, no matter what happens with the likes of the large tech, or the mega tech. People still need to feel like it's a great place to work for, that people believe in them, they can be bring their whole self to work and they'll be treated well. I think that's the trust, be treated yeah. well. So I think that's the part of the part of me that really feels some sense of loss for this ex Googlers. And I know that's what they're called and I don't even know they want to be referred to that as that. But anyway, for now, they're gonna go somewhere else. Someone's gonna say, Oh, we got a great culture going, you know, we believe in you, you can bring your whole self to work and they're gonna go, mm, yeah, okay. Yeah, and that but that's true with anybody starting so it's okay. it's up to the new organization to prove that they um, mean what they say and uh, trust is built over time yeah okay no i, I totally get that mm. and it's just me musing right now on it so that brings me to the next point actually the next trend companies are providing more financial well-being and support to their employees Right. Mm-hmm. So even though, yeah, I'm so, I didn't, we did not plan to talk about Google today. So just saying, but, um, they did have a grade seven package for people. Mm-hmm. Um, I think 60 days they had their access to medical health and, um, well, they got paid 60 days. Yeah. Yeah. So in the, in the end, okay, fine. You know, 60 days, but yeah. what if you'd worked for them for five years? I don't know. 60 days plus something else. I can't tell you the details, but it's somewhere. That's not that great. Are you, are you saying it's not that great? No. Well, okay, 60 days. Okay, that's what I saw. But, and, 60 <laughs> and, days. I've worked for you for five years and you give me 60 days and zero notice. Okay, I'm not going to focus great. on that. I'm going to have to check it and come back later on that <laughs> one. But the, but I do, the fact that people, they're going to be financially, you know, scared and they don't have enough money or, you know, they have to just reinvest in all the things that's happening for them. So, that having said that, yes, they're being laid off, but they will have some support to be able to help buffer them for as long as they can help buffer them. And hopefully those people will find new homes, um, new organizations to be in. So that I really, really, mm. I could have them in my heart right now. I don't know why. <laughs> so back to the point three. Companies are providing more financial well-being and support to their employees because money, talking about money at work has been a taboo. Don't tell them where your salary is, all that stuff. Mm. Um, but yeah, not talking about it can pose a real threat to businesses, really. So this year, businesses have had an increased responsibility to find ways to help their employees cope with the ongoing financial stress and support them in navigating through this challenging time, right? So the threat to the health of people living in the UK currently posed by the cost of living crisis is severe, with surveys from the Royal College of Physicians indicating that over half the population have seen the rising cost of living negatively impacting their health. So, potential measures for employees to take might be to make more explicit provision to guarantee fair and equal pay, offering financial wellbeing workshops, uh, greater pay transparency and pay rises. For those not in a position to offer pay rises, a one-off cost of living payment might be an option because um, different people are doing different things. Um, and again, offering, at the very least, offering enhanced employee assistance programs to limit the impact of financial concerns on physical health, mental health of the workforce. 
I think to be a priority, and I think it probably is a priority for a lot of organizations in this year and the next one. Yeah, a lot of companies are talking about financial well-being. I know that a lot of the business development calls I have with clients, they are uh, considering how they're going to support um, employees in their financial well-being. And I had a really interesting call yesterday, actually, with um, the the in-country head of a Turkish subsidiary. And obviously, for those of you who um, who even vaguely listen to the news, you know that there's been a massive couple of earthquakes in Turkey. So uh, I, I wanted to speak to them to see if there was anything we could do to support them. And I, th- I actually went into the conversation expecting the focus of the conversation to be about how we could support their employees and their managers with grief counseling or that kind of aftercare because of the earthquakes. But what was interesting is that 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 was only a small proportion of the conversation because life in Turkey had been really, really difficult for employees for uh, a couple of years before the earthquake already due to the astronomical inflation rates. We're here in the UK complaining because inflation has hit double figures. We're at 10, 11%. And it's having really real consequences for families in the UK. When I asked her what the impact of inflation was, she was telling me that inflation, the official government statistics for inflation in Turkey in, um, this is January 2023, was around 59% or something like that. And that last year it was officially recorded at something like 67%. And those are the the ones that the government have sanctioned. So she said in real terms, um, independent financial organizations had estimated that inflation in Turkey was over 100%. Mm-hmm. So the financial well-being of her employees is a significant concern. And she was talking about how it's really difficult to motivate her managers um, and to stop the kind of infighting, gossipy, Mm -hmm. uh, sort of negative atmosphere that was there in the company. And I said, well, it's to think about Maslow's hierarchy of needs. If the cup of um, tea that I bought from the cafe was one pound to yesterday and is two pounds now. I can't really worry about, oh, am I making sure I'm motivating my staff or am I making sure I'm getting the most out of that supplier? Or I can't think about that. I'm thinking about how am I going to pay my bills? How am I going to afford to pay the rent or the mortgage or pay um, for the school shoes that my kids need or the the extra holidays or my hospital bills. So that becomes an all-consuming concern. So you can see why financial well-being is significant for employees in Turkey, but it's still significant for your employees here in the UK. But there's another thing. There isn't the other thing about that uh, importance of sense of belonging. That leads us into our fourth well-being trend for 2023. Organizations will continue to commit to diversity, equity, and inclusion 
it's going to be key for employee well-being. The link between DEI and mental health isn't often talked about unless you listen to us, because then we talk about it all the time. <laughs> we do, because I've experienced it firsthand. Being a black woman, Obi has. We know the impact of what it is to be othered and to be the minority in the workplace. We know about unconscious and conscious bias and systemic um, racism and the impact it has on your career and therefore on your well-being at work and your mental health. Employees who don't feel as though they're accepted for who they are at work or who feel that bias has stopped them from getting the opportunities that they feel they deserve, well, it's no surprise if they end up feeling demoralized or doing as I did and burning out. We're talking about ethnically diverse groups, people with disabilities, both visible and, and invisible, neurodiverse employees in your organizations, as well as women. The focus in DEI over the last 10, 15 years has been predominantly the gender imbalance, but it's opened up now this discussion to really focus in on things like race and um, uh, neurodiversity, um, religious discrimination, all that kind of stuff matters to you when you're trying to create a culture that includes everybody and at all levels. Gallup research recently found out that employees who reported feeling discriminated against in the last 12 months were more than twice as likely to report high levels of burnout. Who's looking out for your, I hate using the term, but my, your minority colleagues, your ethnically diverse colleagues, your um, colleagues who have visible or invisible disabilities? Who's looking out to see if they're struggling? Because there's so much of having to fit in mm. to something that doesn't naturally include you, the, the square peg round hole phenomenon. Is tiring and it wears us down. All the code switching. All of that kind mm -hmm. of stuff. Black employees who feel strongly that they've had the same opportunities for advancement as others are 55% less likely to report feeling burnt out on a regular basis. It's finding out who those are, though. I yeah. want to know where they work. I'll uh, be honest. Exactly. <laughs> and I can that's the point because, in a way, people will talk, they share information about. The plague didn't work. I know Glassdoor is notorious for this, but to be fair, I know Glassdoor is a pinch of salt in terms of, you know, you expect people who are disgruntled to be there, but it still gives you a temperature, a measure of how some people or some groups of people are treated in organizations, particularly. Um, when it comes to uh, particularly black mental health, it's that kind of thing. It's a, the kind of feeling discriminated against would have a knock-on effect in how you see yourself, how you feel, how you, what, how you, engage with people at work, or even at home. So it does have a knock on impact. We talk about that um, a lot, really, on um, specific roundtables about black mental health. But I just wanted to sort of add to that as well. Mm. So final point today, this is the fifth uh, trend that we're seeing, is a renewed investment in learning and development. Well done, L&D people. So um, according to the CIPD People Magazine, um, People Management Magazine, as you say, the vast majority, so 96%, that's a high number, of HR and learning and development professionals, L&D, predicts a surge in staff training budget this financial year. 
which is great news. But could we predict that this could also include mental health training? It makes sense that it would do that, especially following the publication of the World Health Organization's Mental Health at Work guidelines last year, where they strongly recommended mental health training for managers as a way to mitigate the risk of burnout in the workplace. The idea of lobbying for a specific well-being budget is a big flaw. We hear that a lot. We haven't got a well-being budget, Obi. We haven't got a well-being budget in Guardian. We hear that a lot. Every time. (laughs) Like literally every time. But what I want to be clear on is not separate from learning and developing of your people, well-being and how to mitigate well-being in the workplace for employees is not a separate thing, okay? So it's not an add-on. So it's been repeatedly proven to be a central part of any organization, impacting everything from productivity to staff retention. And therefore, in the absence of a well-being budget, the resources that are used to support well-being can come from other places, okay? Okay, maybe not the back of your sofa, but it can come from other <laughs> places, okay? Just says, L&D! So they are, every year, you put the budget aside for the training and development of your people. Mental health, mental well-being, mental um, in, inclus- inclusiveness or inclusion, whatever you want to call it, can come from there. Okay, what I want to say at this point. Okay, what else? What's the other point I'm trying to make? I'm glad you help me out here. Yeah, well, it's also don't think of it as like I hate saying this. Too many times we come across organisations who are. I'll say kind of well-meaning. They they know that they should focus on the well-being agenda because it's a thing now. And they really do want to make their employees feel happier, mm. but on the cheap, right? Yeah. So those companies won't be as interested in what what really works. They just want something quick, a quick win, right? Those companies will not do what's needed. And we strongly believe that the key to workplace well-being for all of your employees, the key to it is in investing in your line managers so that they can have open conversations about mental health and well-being. It has time and time again been proven to be the most effective way. It's a proactive, preemptive way to intercept mental health issues at an early stage so that you you stop your employees from getting to burnout. And yeah. that makes so much more sense. It costs way more to try and fix a broken employee who is taking time out, an extended period of sick leave, for mental health reasons, and then has to slowly, slowly come back to the office and phase return before they ever get back up to the levels that they were at. Mm. It takes so much more to do that than just to work in a manner that stops the employee from burning out in the first place. And the key to that, the only person who can do that is no, it's not you, our HR superhero. It is the line manager who is there, responsible for allocating work, responsible for maintaining um, performance of that employee and monitoring it and having one-to-one conversations. Line managers don't instinctively know how to have these 
awkward conversations about mental health. Yeah, they haven't been trained. Yeah, uh, but I think we don't think, generally people don't think that you need to be trained to have a difficult conversation. How many times have you heard someone say to you, well, my door's always open. (laughs) Your door may always be open, but I'm not bloody walking through it. Absolutely no chance. And Uh, and then also the idea of if you're just a nice person and you care, and because you care, then that means you must naturally have skills to do it. And and that's somewhat true, but that's not the whole thing. So I, I, I think that providing line manager training on how to watch out for mental health, uh, mental well-being red flags, and just because you need to be told what it looks like. Line managers are not therapists. They are not medics. They're not, they're not any of these things. The local court line manager is a medic. That's a different <laughs> conversation there. Yeah, medics are bad too. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. But the point I'm trying to make is we need to be able to talk how to do things. Mm. Um, and we need to be able to talk how to be intentional about what to look out for. You know, but we need to look out for the subtle sign, not when it's, when it's a red flag, a big one, it's slightly already late, to be fair. So we're trying to, I just think that robust line manager training has to include what to watch out for, okay, how to be sensitive, how to have productive conversation with a team member in a way that they, that team member can go ahead and feel psychologically safe to say what's going on for them and to go and seek support early. So that it doesn't become this long drained out or dragged out illness and whatever. So that's one thing. And so I feel like we need to move beyond this two hour webinar, one day training that offers an opportunity for the manager to go to a learning cycle um, and all of that, because it, it cannot, you cannot go through the actual learning cycle that is required for an, an adult learner, right? So an adult learner needs to learn, pick information, reflect on the thing, implement it, review it, implement again, reflect on it again, review it, adapt it, you get the idea, right? It needs this cycle. That won't be done in a two-hour webinar or one-day training. Mm-hmm. It's what is required for behavioral change or modification to happen. I mean, you can't lose, you wouldn't lose three pounds by just simply reading about it, would you? Like in, I'm just going to watch an hour-long weight loss webinar, right? And then that will sort it out. Of course not. You're going to have to learn about what you need to to do. The right food, exercises. Then you're going to reflect on it and then bespoke it to what will work for you. Are you going to join the gym? Are you going to run outside? Are you getting hello fresh food delivered? Because you're not tempted to buy unhealthy food. Stop giving away my secrets. Okay, yeah. I love HelloFresh. HelloFresh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, by the way, we're not sponsored for HelloFresh. Yeah, I was just thinking, <laughs> but if HelloFresh are open to sponsoring, um, we'll be open too. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, you get the idea. You have to be quite disciplined to be able to just go to the shops and get what you need without filling your trolley with full fat ice cream. I'm not that disciplined. In God, is actually, but yes, I, I for sure, I'm not that girl. I'm that girl. <laughs> so I'm going to need to think about it. How am I going to do it? I'm going to need to implement it, review after a week or two to see what's working you know and adjust to it that's how we sustainably change behavior and or modify behavior and of course a culture change is also the same thing it takes time and investment really i think that's the key switch right is thinking of it as not as mental well-being training but as behavior modification behavior or culture change if you think of it like that then it makes sense that it's going to require significant investment of time and money and also expert guidance, not just a talk 
or webinar, something I cobbled together myself because my, my job description has L and D and HR <laughs> in it. It makes sense. So yeah, I, I, I love that point about the losing three pounds by <laughs> reading or a, a diet book or watching a webinar. If only it was that simple. If only if it was that simple. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what have we learned in today's um, podcast episode? So five key trends, five key points you want to take away. One, define your mental health strategy and invest in it as a top priority, even in this uncertain times. Two, build an inclusive company culture as this is the driving force for employee retention. No ways around it. Three, provide more financial well-being and support to employees where possible. Four, commit to diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, and link this up with your employee well-being strategy. And finally, number five, include mental well-being training as coach and coaching as part of your renewed learning and development. But yes, what do you think about that, Ngarjo? Do you I have think, a bonus point to throw in there? I think if you do those top five, then you're my ideal kind of company. If you're doing those top five, call us. Yeah, we want to hear exactly what yeah. you're doing or how you're doing it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Wellbeing Rebellion. If you liked what you just heard, please share it with your colleagues, follow us on LinkedIn, the link will be in the show notes, and generally show us some love. We want to build a whole army of fellow rebels who want to create positive workplaces for everyone. Will you join the rebellion? See you next time.